All right, we'll open up to the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to say that first just in case you're one of those people that's like, well, I know that's in the Bible. I have no idea where it is. Because Jeremiah is a major prophet. And Jeremiah, like many of the major prophets, are not the easiest guys to read in the Bible. So if I were to say, how many of you guys have read Jeremiah in the last year? I would suspect we wouldn't get a lot of hands going up. It's probably not our favorite place to run to in Scripture. But there, you guys know this, right? On every page, God is revealing himself to us of the Bible. Every page of the Bible. So as we're venturing through what we call Summer Bible Jam, we have been using people's lives as a stop-off point to learn some things that God is teaching into the settings of people's lives. And he's still doing that today, right? He's still doing that in our lives. And there's some things to learn about how God is and how you and I can understand the way he operates and how to explain our own lives, right? How many of you guys have bumped into a place where you're just tempted to say, what on earth is going on? Why has my life got this and this and this in it right now? Well, lots of well-meaning people could say lots of well-meaning things into those settings. And they might just be well-meaning, but they might not really be explaining your situation. And so today as we look into God's Word, we're going we're to not necessarily see exactly your situation here, but we're going to learn something about God and His ways and the nature of life and what it feels like. So I've titled this message, Jeremiah... A call to faithfulness, if not fruitfulness. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about fruitfulness. But let me start away from this passage for a moment. This is a reality. This is not a reality that I have fond feelings and affections for. But we are all being discipled by social media and the internet. I don't know if you want to debate that with me or not. But discipleship is just you and I learning things, right? The word for disciple is a learner. So when we sit at the feet of things, we learn from them. When we intentionally sit at the feet of things, we learn from things. And there are certain things that get our attention that are going to help you learn something about you. How many notice that when you go on social media, you go on the internet, you ignore all kinds of things and you pay attention to all kinds of things? Okay, if you could get a computer program that would explain to you what you ignored and what you liked, got interested in, wanted to read more about, follow, etc. It would, it would all be explaining you to you in some ways. You have an appetite for certain things and you are uninterested in others. And everybody in the room is not exactly the same in that category, right? So in your outline there, I, I put two extreme popular posts. This is how posts and information in the social media world feel. On the one hand, you've got those who are cantankerous, negative, hostile, critical, aggressively evangelistically, glasses half empty, sky is falling, conspiracy theory posters. And there are some of you who like to read that kind of stuff. You will blow off lots of other materials so you can get around the most angry individual you can find in social media, on the internet, the guy who's blowing up somebody else, the guy who can't stand another minute of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, man. Say it. Hey, did you see this? Did you see what so-and-so said today? And he's one of these guys. 
venomous, angry. Right? This is why social media stays in business, by the way, right? Half the people wanting to read, they want to read that kind of stuff. And then there's this other set of posters who are very unlike these guys that collect the other, the rest of humanity into their posts. These are the dreamers, the motivational carrot danglers, the positive energy people, the you have a destiny. Your glass would be more than half full if you just learned the right attitude technique posters. And they're out there as well. And some people love those guys. And, and you know, obviously the major concern is you and I pull up a chair and we say, teach me. Let me learn from you. Let me learn either to be kank, you know, just cranky and ornery and mad at everything. Or let me just buy into everything that sounds positive and, oh, you have the secrets that I need to know in order to turn my life into something amazing. It could be amazing, couldn't it? Well, of course it could. And you know what what I find interesting about that brand of posting? That brand of posting is in any kind of publishing. It's in the book world. It's in social media, blogs. It's it's selling you on this idea. And it it tends to be in every category, right? It's it's just kind of the latest approach. If you'll just do my secret method you'll get this outcome. Right? This is why there's like still people writing diet books. Really? Haven't we exhausted every possible way of eating food? But yet somebody's going to come out with another diet book this year that perhaps is going to be a craze. People are going to jump into that with this latest idea that, oh, oh, if I do that, oh, then I get that. Okay, I'm all in. I'm all in for that. Somebody else is going to write a book about... How to be a millionaire by the time you're 30. You know, just these ways. And, and, they're, and they're all just, you know, they're techniques and they're positive things. And like, like no one's ever said any of these things before. How to grow your business. How to grow your church. Oh my goodness, there's lots of books out there on that. How to turn your children into the most amazing overachievers ever. Uh, so there's going to be something out there published. But, but here's what every one of them is selling you on. It sells you this idea that... Step right up to the life machine and press the buttons in this order and that sequence and popping out over here is going to be the fruit that you wanted in your life. So, read my book, read my blog, do life this way, press the button, that, no, no, not that way, that's the wrong order. No, that, that used to be how people did it, we don't do it that way anymore. We discovered something better, press it in this order. No, 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 pause after the third one, after the third button, pause longer, pause longer. And if you'll just do that, in whatever category matters to you, the business world, the family setting, the church, if you'll just do that, popping out of the life machine is going to be this really fruitful encounter that you're just, you're going to get it. It's going to be great. And, the, and the, the carrot gets dangled in front of you. This is present everywhere. This is present in the church. This, this is the core of the health and wealth gospel. The health and wealth gospel is quite simply this. I'm going to teach you some techniques about faith. You're going to go over to the life machine. And you're going to press things in this order. And you're going to speak to God this way about these things. And you're, and you're going to be faithful to say this and not that. 
Oh, you said that, you shouldn't have said that. That that could mess the whole thing up. And then popping out into your life is going to be fruit that you're going to really like. Every one of those approaches, they're not all bad, by the way. Let me just say that. Right? I, I just, I'm not sure I'm interested in being the cantankerous, critical, I don't like anything person either. So there's nothing wrong with being positive. There's nothing wrong with, with putting forth effort. But quite a bit of that is, is rather drastically man-centered. It's so much about you, what you're going to do, and how you're going to do it. And the reason why you and I buy into that is because we want to control the future. I want to control the outcome of things. I want to control the outcome in my marriage. I want to control the outcome for my children. I'm a pastor. I want to control the outcome for the church. Well, Keith, what are you aiming these things at? Some form of fruitfulness, right? I, I want things to be fruitful. I want them to go in a direction that I have determined is good. But here's the relentless thing. If you sign on for a man-centered, which I believe the health and wealth gospel being preached in churches is a man-centered thought. And it's relentless. If you've ever made the mistake of signing on for that, please read the fine print. Because it basically is telling you, If you want this outcome, it is completely dependent upon how you use your faith and how good of a job you're doing avoiding sin. So, if you want divine health, it's all about how you're using your faith. So, if you're here today and you're sick, oh, you must have pressed the buttons in the wrong sequence. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sick. Or if you want things to go well for you, if you want a big return on your investment, if you want 30, 60, 100 fold coming from all that you're doing in life and your bank accounts and you want money dripping out of your accounts, you want success in all these ways, you just need to press the buttons in the right order. Oh, oh you're not doing well financially? Oh, oh, you've had that kind of a job for 20 years now that, that pays at that level and you've never, you don't drive a fancy car or live in the best neighborhood? Oh. Why is that? Because you don't press the buttons the right way. See, all that stuff is achievable, isn't it? Certainly. If you're the only factor. But what if the universe is a little bigger than that? What if there are other things going on besides just you? What if God is doing other things? Besides making you fruitful in the ways that you think fruitful is fruitful. What if God's making you fruitful in ways that you don't necessarily even think are fruitful? What if God's doing things in other locations besides right where you are and only about your personal script? What if you need to have a bigger view of the sovereign God and his universe in order to appreciate what is good and what is not good? Enter into our world a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet. He joins the other major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, eventually Daniel, who all live in a time frame where there's particular stuff going on. The nation of Israel is, is about to go off into exile, away from the promised land, 
So there's stuff going on here. It's a difficult setting. Jeremiah is a unique man who's going to stand in the midst of all that's falling apart and he is going to faithfully proclaim God's word. But no one's going to listen to him. So I want to walk through Jeremiah's life in just a month while we're studying this because we're going to learn some things about God and how God's kingdom operates and how the world operates that's a whole lot more accurate than the New York Times bestseller list. And the latest idea of the latest person who's regurgitating the oldest idea going that basically is a man-centered idea that you can control everything about your life and you can produce the fruit that you want to produce. I'd, you know, don't jettison this. You're making a contribution to that. But you're not in control of it. Listen, those ideas sell better, at least they did for my life, when I was 30 than they do when I reached 50. Because when I was 30 and somebody said, hey, Keith, press the buttons in this order. Right, so you, you want to be successful as a husband. You want to have this kind of fruit in your children. You want to have this kind of fruit in your church. Press the buttons this way. At 30 years old, I'm like, give me the book. Yep. And I just pressed and pressed and pressed for years. But, but there's something about doing life that creates data in your life. And then as a pastor, you don't only get your data, you get everybody else's data too. So you get to sit with people who come into your office week in and week out and they're basically saying, I press the buttons. My life is a mess. I press the buttons. This just happened. I press the buttons. I have cancer. I press the buttons. I'm going through a divorce. I press the buttons. So people are saying, I tried this and I tried that and I tried this and I didn't get the outcome that I want. And you know what? I'm 54 years old now and I've kind of noticed that sometimes you press the buttons and you don't always get what you were aiming at. So now you publish a book that says, press the buttons like this. Well, you know what I do at 54? I've probably pressed those buttons. And a lifetime of data and other people's lives are arguing back at, oh, if you just do this, you get this fruit. Sometimes you do that and you don't get that fruit. And how are you going to deal with that? Now, quick warning here. Anytime you read from the book of Jeremiah in particular... This warning is appropriate. I think I put it in your outline. First, you are not Jeremiah. Can we get that straight? Jeremiah is a particular person at a particular time, lived a particular life. Uh, Those of you who think and have the feeling, leaders are prone to think they're Jeremiah, that you're the only one seeing this right. Everybody else is doing the wrong thing and they won't listen to you. Uh, Well, that was Jeremiah. Just a moment of reminder. You are not Jeremiah. So if you're thinking you're the only one, the only one in the whole church, in all of America, who is seeing this right, uh, spare yourself and spare all of us. You are not Jeremiah. (laughs) Secondly, Uh, Your local church is not Jerusalem. So please avoid, because you're going to be reading in Jeremiah this week, right? You have assignments in the Bible jam to read from Jeremiah. Be careful that you don't think you're Jeremiah, think your local church is Jerusalem, or think America is Israel. And read the book to where every time it says something that sounds like, ooh, they got it wrong right there, we're getting it wrong right there. What did God do? He's going to do that now. Um, you know how many people think America is the center of the universe? 
We're actually only Americans. But, you know, all the time spans of people who had to read this. Who thought that when America hadn't even been discovered yet, Jeremiah was still a valid book to be reading? Because the prophecies weren't about America. Alright, so when you read an Old Testament prophet, remember, you are the secondary audience. The primary audience is who Jeremiah is speaking to. So you've got to read this book first, understanding who, who is being addressed here, what's going on there, that might not be exactly what's going on here. What is God doing there that he might not do exactly what he's doing there here, but there are things to learn for us today. So avoid those pitfalls as you read Jeremiah. Let's do that. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. Let me just give you some origins and some expectations for Jeremiah, right? He's going to be called to be a prophet here beginning chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So we've got some specific dates to work with here. So Jeremiah begins his ministry in about 627 BC. So that's where he is, timeline. His ministry is going to last about 40 years to about 586 BC, and a lot of difficult stuff is going to happen in that little window of his ministry. So, you know, this is, in some ways, this would be, be about choosing to be a stockbroker right before the stock market crashes and stays down for a long time. Uh, this is his assignment as the prophet. Look in verse 4. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. All right, stop for a moment. This is insightful. This is an observation from God's interaction with a man named Jeremiah that translates into our world. There's this individual guy hanging out, just your average human being, part of the kingdom, and God begins to reveal to this man that he has thought of Jeremiah, considered Jeremiah, knows the details of Jeremiah's life, has actually ordained before Jeremiah has even been born. He has ordained his life and placed him in a setting and created the purpose for which Jeremiah was going to live his life. Listen, that, that's, that's important for Jeremiah. That's important in our world. Let me, let me just bump into something that I, I don't think is being properly discipled on social media. Social media sounds like a, a reporting of everybody who's out trying to self-discover, to find out what they're good at, to find their personal preferences and their interests, and to dream big into those categories to make them become everything they hoped that they could ever be in this world. And that's on social media every day when you open it up and sit at its feet. 
And then you read this passage and you find out there's a God who had a plan before you had your first thought. Before you started to love anything in your life. Before you had a taste for one thing over another. Before preferences were formed or personality was taken root in you. There was a God who already had a plan. Notice, before you go developing your lifelong bucket list that you want to make sure and do these things, do these things, be this person, accomplish that thing, notice that God already had first dibs on you. Remember that word, dibs? I got dibs. Okay, God is just conforming Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I got dibs on you, man. I've got something for you. And we're going to read today, if Jeremiah read the fine print, he's got a really cool title and a really bad job. I don't know how many of y'all would like that, right? I go to work, my title is cool, here's my card. But man, going to work is horrible. Okay, that's a little bit about what Jeremiah's life is going to feel like in many ways. But what's important here is God had a plan for an individual named Jeremiah. Do you you feel like he is still working that way concerning you and concerning me? That before there was a breath, before there was a day in my life, the, the God who depicts himself very, very personally in Scripture, the God who says that he has ordained all the days of your life before there was even one of them, that God, he knows you by name. That God... The psalmist said, you bottle up my tears. Do you have any idea how many tears you've cried? Some of you, oh, not many, a lot. But nobody knows how many. Did you know God knows how many tears you've cried? And he's bottled them up? Anybody been counting how many hairs have fallen out of your head? Did you know God knows them? This is the God who says, hey, look, you know, how can I prove I'm caring for you? There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that I'm not watching over. Aren't you more important to me than that? The grass of the field, I'm watching over that too. Aren't you more to me than that? So when you read Jeremiah's story, because you're going to read the rest of Jeremiah's story, and it's not going to be an easy story. How important is it when you and I go to do life and life goes sideways in a number of categories that, that I just get a revelation from God that God, you planned every day before there was one. You thought about my life. I haven't fallen out of your hands and everything about my life, you had thought of it before I even drew my first breath. People, sadly, because the social media world won't disciple you this way, People don't talk about callings anymore. Not nearly as much as they used to. It used to be that years ago, everybody felt so specific about some calling, you almost had to talk them down off the ledge. It's like, oh, settle down, settle down. And maybe God's called you to do that. I don't know, let's see. Today, you almost got to feel like nobody's talking about what God's called them to do. They're just trying to discover what they want to do. And they want to be awesome at it. And they want to be remembered. And they want to make a mark. And they want to own this and do that. And okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. Everybody ought to be living a very active life. But have you stopped and said, God, you got first dibs on me. 
What do you want from my life? I should be learning that lesson as I'm reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah responds like most of us respond in chapter 1 verse 6. Then I said, all right, so God said, hey, here's this awesome plan. I've set you apart. Then I said, uh, uh, Lord God, behold, I, I, don't, I don't know how to speak. Uh, I, I'm, I'm only a youth. But the Lord said, do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you will go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. So do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Right, listen, it, it should be, this should be normalized for us because we've seen it a number of times in the Bible. God shows up in a normal, everyday human being's life with some plan that he has for them and they respond with saying, I can't do that and I'm afraid. Anybody else ever done that? There are things in your life that are the will of God for you to do that the first natural impulse as that assignment comes to you is going to be to tell God, I can't do that. And I'm afraid of doing that. So if, if you've responded, like, don't, I mean, I see I'm in these passages. I see me in these passages. I see things that God showed up and said for me to do that I resisted. That I put off, I tried to avoid, I tried to get somebody else to do it. What was all that? It was me not believing I could do that. And it was me being afraid of trying. And God addresses both of those things with him. And then in this very first revelation and encounter, verse 9, God says, Then the Lord put out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Wow! That's pretty big and powerful. The God of the universe who just... By his word, spoke everything into creation. Says, I have put my words in your mouth. And I have given you power. So what kind of expectation is this forming in Jeremiah right now? You're having this meeting with God. God's revealing the power source of everything you're about to do. Remember, Jeremiah is the man who tells us that God's word is like a hammer that shatters a rock. He spoke about how it sat inside of him like a burning fire shut up in my bones that I, I can't keep it silent. Right? So he knows something about the force of what God has just said is in your life. And he makes these big expectations. You've got power over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. What is your mind thinking if you're a prophet and you're called by God to use his power to accomplish those kinds of things? i got to believe this guy's got some big expectations about what the days ahead hold. And then life starts to unfold. And reality comes. And with it, 
a great deal of confusion. Right? So if we fast forward, fast forward with you know, Jeremiah chapter 8. A little farther into Jeremiah's life. Which by the way, um, as you're reading Jeremiah, it's helpful for you to know that the book is not laid out chronologically. So you need a little help. need a little Bible um, handbook or uh, commentary that will help you. Figure out, okay, was this said after this? Was this said before that? Are these grouped together? Because it's, it's a random collection is the best word I can come up with. It's a bit of a random collection of, of Jeremiah's words and thoughts and expressions from his life. So you've got to do a little bit of homework to figure out where exactly some of these things are. But this is later after his call. And he's walked a while now. In chapter 8, verse 18, this is Jeremiah giving a live report from life. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people. From the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is their king not here? Why have they provoked me to anger in their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Chapter 1 felt like, to Jeremiah, God's not doing this, but Jeremiah could very easily, if he was a little man-centered, all right, so I I pressed the buttons, how? Which one first? That one, that one, that one. Got it. But now he's a little while later, and now his questions, his issues, his experience, fruit didn't pop out the other side. Why, why no health for the daughter of my people? You fast forward a little bit further. Chapter 12. When stuff starts to go wrong in your life, it doesn't follow the right script, you're not seeing the right fruit, I can almost guarantee you're going to do what Jeremiah is about to do here in chapter 12. You're going to try and figure out how your experience in life compares with others. Which will make you either love or hate other people. <laughs> really appreciate some of those posts now, don't you? Chapter 12, verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them. They take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth, but you are far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You you see me and you test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our latter end. 
And this day comes for all of us, unfortunately. When we had expectations. We got saved. We, we trusted God. We were born again. We turned away from all that sinful stuff and activity. And we started down the road of following God. And why are we surprised? Because I expected certain fruit by this time in my life. I expected life to go a certain way. I expected my marriage to be in a certain place. I expected my finances to be. I expected my health to be some. I expected return to me in ways that I valued. And and it didn't go that way. And I don't get it, God. Why does it go that way for that guy over there? Because that guy, I know that guy. That guy barely gives you the time of day. I don't even know if he knows where his Bible is, for goodness sake. But look at him. On his, on his third vacation this year. Oh my gosh. Everybody's having fun. Look at all of his kids. Why does he get blessed, God. Why are my finances the way they are? Why is my job such a dead-end feeling thing? I tithe. God, I've given to you. I've put you first. And I've got family members that they don't even go to church. But look at them in their brand new car. Just moved into their incredible house. And here we are living in this average thing. Everything's broken on in any way. Anybody been there and done this? Right, this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. God, Jeremiah begins to ask for a little break, a little relief. Let me just fast forward to Jeremiah 19. Jeremiah 19. And we start to get into a little bit of an explanation for Jeremiah's ministry and what this life is feeling like. Jeremiah 19 verse 14. We pick up. His story says, Then Jeremiah came from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, here's Jeremiah in his ministry, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it. Because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. Chapter 20. Now, Pasher, the priest, son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. All right, I'm going to come back to this in just a second. This pastor's response, because he's a villain, isn't he? This dude is just evil upon evil. He's beating the prophet. All right, I'm going to come back to this point. As to why what Jeremiah sounds like makes no sense to these people. If you read your Old Testament... What Jeremiah is saying God is about to do sounds like the opposite of everything God has promised up to this point. So if you're pasture, you got a little bit of loyalty to what you think you're supposed to be doing as one of the officers in God's house. This guy sounds off. Get him out of here. Lock him up. Shut this guy up. That's ridiculous. 
So this is how people greet the word that you bring. You're Jeremiah and you're preaching. Right? This is where I don't get Jeremiah at all. I stand up every week and talk to a group of people who are eager to hear what is about to be said. And who want to receive it. And who want to grow from it. You understand this audience for Jeremiah doesn't exist. He stands in the pulpit time after time. And no one listens. Jeremiah 20 verse 7. This is what an anguished soul sounds like. He says, oh Lord, you have deceived me. Not crazy about that translation. Some of your older translations say, you have tricked me. You ever feel like God tricked you? Right? You obeyed God. He called you to do something. You started down that path. You got married. <laughs> and, and you know, you read the brochure. Right? I read Bride Magazine. It's lovely. Look how smiley everybody is. It's, this is so easy. Got down, got into this thing a little while, and all of a sudden, life didn't feel like that. And you turn back to God. Maybe you didn't use those words, but you tricked me, God. Or your career, or the church you're in, or your calling dimension you're walking out. You can get down the road and feel like, God, you tricked me and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. Remember that word that God was going to tuck inside of Jeremiah? If I say, I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, I'm not going to do this. I am not doing this. Well, then there's in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. The poor dude can't stop preaching. God has put this in him in such a compelling way, although he pays a price for it. For I hear many whispering terrors on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching from my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. This is what life was feeling like for Jeremiah. Here, one more quick end of his life summary. Well, towards the end of his life. Halfway through maybe. Chapter 25. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. All right, so he's a little later on now. He's about 604 B.C. Things are start, about to start rocking in Jerusalem in a really, really bad way. So he's you know, 23 years in to his ministry. Verse 2. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is what he said. For 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken persistently to you. But you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. 
23 years. Okay, now remember, you are not Jeremiah. But there's something to be learned about a man who stays at it for 23 years. But you just have heard the, the weight of that, the anguish of that. There, there's no escaping. There's something in us that wants to be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. I don't know, maybe God's put it in our DNA. There's something about us that when we do certain things, we hope for certain outcomes. And I don't think that's supposed to go away. I think we're supposed to. What else would you expect? But sometimes the timing of those things or the way in which they come or what else God is doing is also at work in those settings. I read a book a while back that gave me just great compassion for pastors in Europe who are ministering in a very different environment than America. It's very different there. I don't think it's going to stay very different, but it's very different. And so pastors who are doing the same stuff we're doing as pastors, investing themselves the same way in their churches, praying, seeking to proclaim God's truth, and yet are seeing such little responsiveness from people. Churches are empty. This is not what a church, the average church looks like in Europe. And week in and week out, they labor in that. Missionaries who, like Jeremiah, have been called and sent to a particular time and location. There's a man here a couple of weeks ago, known for many years, Faithful missionary serving in Turkmenistan, near Afghanistan. And I bumped into him after service. He was in town visiting. And just had a sense that's, that's probably a really challenging setting to feel like you're being fruitful in. So I just tried to encourage him, said a couple things in this area. Knew that I was going to be talking about Jeremiah soon and had some of these things in my heart and concern for him. And I could almost see tears coming up in his eyes. Because he has labeled faithfully in that setting. But it doesn't look like this. He cannot measure his fruit by some other means. He, he, he has been faithful even if perhaps it feels like he has not been fruitful. Uh, Gina and I got to visit with a couple that some of you guys know. They're missionaries planning a church in Italy. And they've been there for years, laboring faithfully. Lee and Jeanette Walty. And yet Lee would talk about just the, the meagerness of fruit and the church that he is pastoring there on the Mediterranean coast. This would not be unfamiliar ground for folks who step into different lives, different callings. Right? You know, the father of modern missions, William Carey, who left England to go to India to begin to pursue conversion of the heathen with great passion and great energy and rallying people to be behind what he was doing 
And he gets there and it is, it is harder than he ever imagined and more costly than he ever thought. He lost supporters left and right. One of his own children died. His wife nearly lost her mind. He didn't see his first convert for seven years. And after laboring for 41 years, he would see less converts than we have here gathered on a Sunday morning. After 41 years. Listen, this, this, this throws a curb, doesn't it? Because we set out for fruitfulness. And we have a quest for fruitfulness in our lives. And so, whether you're a missionary or a ministry leader here, whether you're, you're a small group leader, and, and, you know, hey, you know, sometimes people don't show up. Isn't it amazing? You know, you planned for the meeting, and a few years ago, we couldn't pull out enough seats. We couldn't fit everybody in the house. And now you plan a meeting, and three people show up. You certainly got enough dessert for everybody, that's for sure. <laughs> do, do you keep doing this stuff? What do you tell these people? What do you tell Jeremiah after 23 years? Here's my New York Times bestseller. Have you tried this? Well, it's probably because you're not doing this. If you'd press the buttons in this order, in this sequence. Right, I want to vomit. I don't do social media because it would cause me to vomit a lot. But... I want to vomit when people take life with all of the complexity in it and boil it down to a slogan that fits on one page. That makes it sound like if you just do this, zippity doo da for you. Fruit everywhere. Can't wait. I, look, I only felt that way when I was in the 70s getting high. Right? I was on something when that made sense to me. <laughs> I stare in Jeremiah and say, what are you going to do? Take your health and wealth message and sit down across the table with Jeremiah and counsel him. And tell him the reason why his world is so unrewarding and he is so rejected and his ministry is not thriving and he hasn't built a mega church is why? Because he's not pressing the buttons, right? I can't do that when I read this, can I? Your little theory doesn't work everywhere. And I might need some help because my life might at some point feel like I wasn't ready for this. Well, can I make a case for faithfulness while we're all so in love with fruitfulness? Jeremiah is a lesson in faithfulness. Even if you don't like the lesson he teaches in fruitfulness. And he says something there. In verse 3, chapter 25, when he says, For 23 years I have spoken persistently to you. Period. Not because it was easy. Not because you rewarded me. Not because you acted like you were interested. Because he goes on and says, and you didn't listen. But he kept doing the will of God for his life for 23 years. In that environment. He didn't turn back to God and just quit. He's going to go on from here. And and things are not going to get better. They're going to be hard and challenging. But he persists in being faithful. 
Right, I wrote this in your outline. Hold on to this thought. There are situations and settings in our lives where we cannot manage the fruitfulness. We can only manage our faithfulness. And even that is dependent on the grace of God for us to even do that. All right, glance at these verses with me real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says, And God is able, God is able, this is God-centered sound, God is able to make all a grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a great verse, isn't it? You notice it says nothing about fruit in it. It says that in every moment of every situation of every day of your life, God is going to make grace abound to you so that you may abound in every good work. So that you may persist. So that you may continue. So that you may obey God. That you may trust Him. That you may do what He's called you to do. The grace of God enables me to do that. It's it's not that I got the outcome that I wanted that makes me able to do that. It's not the fruit that I get to see that makes me able to do that. It's the grace of God that's sufficient to get me to do in Jeremiah's day what no reward is showing up in the landscape of my life. I'm going to need the grace of God to do that. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7 says, of this gospel, right? Now we fast forwarded from a man named Jeremiah to a man named Paul. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul, I've called you to do something. I'm going to give you grace to do that. What is that thing? To preach to the Gentiles. But what if they don't listen? You're not in charge of what happens when you obey and trust God. You don't get to control the fruit and the outcome. That, that, that's above all of our pay grades. Paul, you are given grace with a divine calling to preach to the Gentiles. Right? Now you remember, Jeremiah starts off sounding similar to that. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. So on the one hand, you got Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you are called. God has put you in this place. To be a prophet to the nations. Paul, you are called. God has put you in this place and he's given you grace to preach to the Gentiles. Now somebody explain to me why the guy called over here had no one listened to him. But the guy called over here planted churches that turned the world upside down. Why is there sinking harvest going on in this man's ministry and this guy stands with an empty basket at his feet feeling like he's collecting no fruit can you explain that can you explain to me why the worst prophet in the old testament 
That's what I'm labeling him. The worst prophet in the Old Testament accomplished the mission he was on. You know who the worst prophet in the Old Testament is? Jonah. I don't want this job. I'm going to run from God. I'm going to hide from him. Doesn't matter. I mean, look, Jeremiah, Amos, Isaiah, they're all like, okay, Lord, here am I. Send me. Okay. Not, not Jonah. I don't want to go. I don't like those people. He's probably a bigot. I mean, he just, uh, do you know what's going on in Nineveh? These people are obnoxious. I'm not going. I'm not going. Where's their boat? I'm going to the other side of the world. He runs from God. And then even worse than that, he, he preaches to them and they repent and he gets mad. <laughs> he's mad. Can you imagine? But he's called as a prophet and he preaches to the nation and the nation repents. Can somebody explain to me why Jonah is showing up back at the dock with this big giant fish called Nineveh? Look what I caught. Jeremiah's pulling back in with his skiff. Nothing for me today again. I guess he just didn't press the right buttons in the right order. Listen. God has called you. You're an individual that God has dibs on. And he has called you. And you may not like the fruit that's coming from those callings. But that's not your call. And the second it becomes your call, you're going to have a really, really, really hard time every day from here on out. In God's great simplicity, he has provided grace and empowerment and assignment and appointment before your days began for you to, to preach or to work or to be a, a wife in that marriage to that man. Can't you, can't you think that Jeremiah would have loved to have had Jonah's assignment? Go preach and they'll, they'll respond and they'll repent? I, 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 I'm first in line. Wouldn't you like to be married to somebody who responds like Nineveh did rather than like Israel did? For 23 years I have done your laundry and cooked your food. I don't know. Do any of you ladies say this? And what have I got in return? And your, the fruit of it becomes, what am I going to do next? Listen, it's, it's not the fruit of things that determines what you're going to do next. It's, it's faithfulness to what God has called you to. Because God is managing an entire universe. And you may not see all that. So let me close with this last story from Jeremiah. I can't pass this up. Back up into chapter 24. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen, the metal workers, and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. Behold, 
two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. All right, so we're pretty late in Jeremiah's ministry now. The captivity has begun. People are being exiled and taken away. Jerusalem is looking like a rundown slum more and more and more. And this word comes to Jeremiah. Okay, this, let me just warn you. This is a word where God explains the behind the scenes moments. This is kind of like what Job doesn't get, but you and I get. Jeremiah here gets something from God that, that you and I might not get this explanation. But this is what we learn about God when we read Jeremiah's story. All right, here's these two baskets of figs. Verse 2. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs. But the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs. The good figs, very good. The bad figs, very bad. So bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Like these good figs, So I will regard as good the exiles from Judah whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land. And I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Moment of massive clarity and massive confusion. This is upside down. Wait, Lord, you said what? The good figs are in Babylon? Did I, did I understand what you just said correctly? The good figs are in Babylon. It's kind of strange how God uses the word good sometimes. You understand everything in the Old Testament leading up to this moment? From Abraham. Abraham, I'm giving you a land of promise. It wasn't Babylon. It was a land around Jerusalem. That's the land of promise. And you're going to dwell there and I'm going to dwell there with you. And you're going to be my covenant people. And I'm pulling to Mount Sinai. And we study all that stuff about Exodus, right? And this centerpiece of our world is going to be the temple. Where you learn and connect. And I manifest my presence of all the places on earth. Right here at this address in Jerusalem. I'm going to be present in a specific unique way. For my people who dwell in a land that I have given to them. So if you're Jeremiah and you're looking to pluck stuff up and break things down and rebuild things and call people back, the good figs are in Jerusalem where people worship God wholeheartedly. When they repent and respond to God, they're going to come back here. That's what he understands. That's why Pastor wants to beat this guy up. Because what you're saying is the opposite of anything that could be good. That can't be good. And I don't know how hard it was for Jeremiah to understand the good that God was doing. God, the sovereign God who does everything perfectly was going to be in another location where there was no temple, no sacrifices, and no manifest presence of God. How many of y'all think that sounds good? You're going to be exiled. You're not going to live in the promises of God. You're going to live apart from them. God is not going to show up. 
He's not going to manifest himself in a glory cloud the way he said that he would right here. You're not going to walk through the services and festivals of celebration before the presence of God. And that's going to be a good thing. Really? How easy is that for you to get your mind around? That had to have been very hard for Jeremiah. But God in his grace takes Jeremiah behind the scenes and at least explains that to him. Jeremiah, I don't, I don't know how much you can even get this, but I am at work. And what everybody is resisting is actually what I'm doing. And I am relocating folks for a purpose to accomplish something in their lives that will not get accomplished here. I'm going to bring their hearts back to me. This is a good place over here. Listen, this, this can be you this morning, right? God has you in a place that's actually a good place. But it ain't following the script that you thought it was going to follow. You're in a place that feels unfruitful, out of control, not scripted, not exactly what you wanted it to be. Life doesn't feel like what you hoped it would be at this point. What are you going to do with that? Ask the band to come back up. There's a, a line in one of my favorite books and movies, The Lord of the Rings. where the little hobbit Frodo, who started off life galloping around through the Shire with all of its lush greenery and fresh herbs and vegetables growing everywhere. and every, They just hung around, played together, frolicked, laughed, smoked a pipe. Life was sweet. And then a little while later into the movie, the nasty ring has found its way into everybody's reality. And life has become dark and menacing and hard and confusing. Landing people in locations they don't know what to do with. And Frodo is sitting in a dark, threatening cave with the wise Gandalf. And he he says to Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf's response, it pierces my heart every time I hear it because they're so rich with truth. He says, so do all who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Jeremiah didn't get to choose to be the Apostle Paul. He didn't get to choose to be Jonah. The times that were given to him were the times and the sovereign purpose of God that he was fitted for before he drew his first breath. And that is true for you and for me. And you may not like the times in which you live, but that's not your call. Your only call is what are you going to do with the times that you have been given? But Keith, what if they're unfruitful times? 
What if I do things and it doesn't produce the outcome that I want? What if? What if? May you be able to say as Jeremiah did, for 23 years I persisted. Listen, understanding the fruit of things is complex. It involves advanced math. There's all kinds of science involved, I'm sure. It's a little bit beyond some of us. In simplicity, how about if God just stands before you today and says, hey, I've, I've called you to be faithful. I've called you to something. And I've given you the surroundings. And the people that are in your life, they're not there by accident. And the circumstances of your life. Remember, I ordained all your days before there was even one. I'm just calling you to be faithful. Just be faithful. Trust me. Let's stand up together. Lord, would you bring the grace that you speak about in your word into this room for us, into our hearts, into our awareness. Because Lord, these settings can make us feel like you are not near to us and we are inadequate and we are afraid. And so Lord, would you help us to receive, even in this room this morning, an awareness of your grace that comes with your calling in our life. I want you to just let the Holy Spirit probe around where you are this morning in this. Answer a couple of questions. Ask them to the Lord. Lord, have I substituted fruitfulness and my definition of it for faithfulness? Lord, I'm here this morning and I I don't want to persist. Lord, I don't want to continue because I don't like the fruit. Oh God, have I substituted fruitfulness for faithfulness. And what you have called me to be. What are you going to do with the times that you have been given? Like Sarah or Jeremiah or Isaiah. What what are you going to do with the times that you have been given by the sovereign Lord? Lord, if we are going to walk these pathways, Lord, we must be aware of your grace in our lives. Your sufficiency, O God, in all things at all times so that we may abound in every good work. Your sufficiency, God, not ours. Your 
sufficiency. In all things, at all times. Lord, help us. Because we have forgotten that. And I'm having trouble taking my next step of trust because I've lost that sense that your sufficiency, not mine. God, I joined Jeremiah in saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. But for the grace of God, your sufficiency in all things at all times. Lord, I pray this morning for those who find their path to be unattractive and unfruitful. Lord, these are, these are anguishing pathways. And there's some here who are living on the other side of divorce. The fragmenting of their family and this feeling that was not fruitful. That wasn't good. Yet, Lord, there's a path ahead. There are steps to take, Lord. Would you help us be aware of your sufficiency in all things at all times to take another step with you in trust. There are spouses here, there are husbands, there are wives who have walked for many, many years with a spouse that is not changing. The fruit of change doesn't seem to be appearing. And right now the argument of the heart is I can't take another step. I can't do this another day. And they cannot, Lord. Apart from your grace, your sufficiency in all things at all times. This room is filled with people that you knew before they drew their first breath. You ordained the days of their lives. You ordained that they would be born in America, living in 2018. Or we could have been anywhere at any time. But this is where you have placed us to live lives that we don't always fully understand. This morning, Lord, help us to learn from Jeremiah's life, a man who was persistent in walking out your purposes, no matter the difficulty or the confusion. God, you fulfilled your calling in Jeremiah's life. Lord, would you fulfill yours in us? In the places you've put our lives, Lord, would you give us a persistence that we just don't have apart from you. A sufficiency in all things at all times. God, may faithfulness be what we do with the times that we are given. Simply faithful to our God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.